It's the e-commerce master plan podcast here to help you grow your e-commerce business faster and more efficiently by cutting through the hype to bring you inspiration and guidance from the e-commerce sector and beyond. Here's your host, Chloe Thomas. Hello, master plan world. It is a pleasure to have you all out there listening. I'm Chloe Thomas, creator of the e-commerce master plan. I'm an author, speaker and consultant and I focus on e-commerce business strategy and marketing. Welcome to our 2017 e-commerce growth series sponsored by Vico, the number one inventory software. It's a series of shows to bring you lots of ideas and thoughts on how to take your business to the next level in 2017. And I have to give a huge thank you to our sponsor Vico for enabling this series to happen. Vico is the number one inventory software that allows you to sell across multiple marketplaces such as eBay, Amazon, Magento, WooCommerce and Shopify. You can try Vico totally for free today by heading over to info.vico.com forward slash e-commerce dash master plan and Vico is spelled V-W-E-Q-O. And I highly recommend you take a look as one of the Shopify reviewers of the service, Donovan of chockadays.com, puts it as an unbelievable product. Can't express how happy we are with you guys and how well things are working. If you want to sell on multiple channels, then this is a must-have tool. You can't get a better recommendation than that. Let me introduce you to today's special guest. Thomas Smale co-founded FE International in 2010, and it is now the world's largest website brokerage focused on e-commerce, SaaS, that's software as a service, and also content websites. Thomas is joining me today to discuss the big question, if you're looking to start, should you buy or should you build? So if you're not yet in e-commerce, should you start your own business or should you be looking at buying an existing one? Hi, Thomas. Hey, Chloe, thanks very much for having me on. Hi, it's great to have you here and such an interesting topic as well. Um, I've just given the listeners a very quick overview of, of you and your business, a really quick overview of you and your business. Um, how did you get started off in website brokerage? Sure. So very brief overview, going back to uh, like 2008, 2009, I was at university still trying to make some extra cash. So I got into, thought it might be a good idea to try sell websites which I wasn't very technical at the time, but I spotted a bit of an opportunity where you could buy them relatively cheaply in certain places and then resell them. So at the time, I was doing very small numbers. We're talking like turning £50 into like £500 in a few weeks. But when you're at university, that's that's great. It's better than having like a uh, a bar job or whatever. So Definitely. That's, that's what I did. And then come 2010, it was my, my final year of university and I decided that what I wanted to do is go work for myself. Um, so by then I had a reasonable amount of experience buying and selling. So I wrote an ebook about, I guess, how to how to make money buying and selling websites. Launched that in the month I graduated. Uh, it did really well. It got really popular. A lot of people. Off the back of that, lots of people started coming to me saying, "Hey, I've read your your ebook. I've gone through your course. Um, I love the idea of selling my business. Um, your your kind of tutorial makes sense, but I don't really want to do it myself. Can you do it for me? Uh, and that's kind of how I accidentally fell into website brokerage. So I started doing it for people, offering it as a service. So that was going all the way back to 2010. Uh, we continued doing that for, for years, and now we're at the stage now where come like fast forward to middle of 2016, we're nearly 20 employees now, um, multi-million dollars in revenue with uh, about 100 deals a year. 
Wow, and that's that's really that's that's kind of like the perfect business story, isn't it? It's like, well, I put something out there, and loads of people wanted me to do it for them, so I created a business. It's yeah, like oh, exactly. the Holy Grail. <laughs> so, um, so you're obviously British, and is your business based in the UK? Are you global? Have you got offices all over the world? What's yeah, your what's your marketplace? That's a good question. So, as our company name suggests, we are very much an international company. So we have sellers all over the world and we have buyers all over the world um in terms of offices we used to be had a, have a head office in in london with a small office in us we now have a small office in london a small office in chiang mai thailand and a larger office in boston which is now our head office so i'm usually in between the three uh, but the bulk of our team is in in boston in the us now oh wow so that's that's a massive change in just six years yeah, it was a big move out to the US, but a lot of the business buyers particularly, not necessarily sellers, buyers tend to be US-based, which is why we've kind of moved the office out there and hired more people out there. So do you, would you have someone who's you know, got a UK e-commerce business that actually gets selling, in, selling predominantly in the UK that gets bought by someone stateside? Uh, sometimes. We, we tend to find the majority of businesses we deal with are not necessarily geographically restricted, so they won't be just selling in the UK. They te- I mean, the, I guess one of the big advantages of running an online business, whether it's e-commerce or SaaS or whatever, um, you can sell anywhere in the world. So most of the businesses we sell do sell anywhere. Um, it's reasonably rare to find something that's selling in one specific country that sells to a buyer elsewhere. Um, but it really depends. Yeah, we had um, last year on the podcast, we had... a a gentleman on called uh, Charles Fitzgerald who runs The Cool Shop which is a fashion business which sells in America only dresses mm-hmm. and he lives I think it was it was either Singapore or Thailand I think it was Singapore and he's South African and then he's got other team members in various countries around the world which I thought was just a, really pushing the boundaries of what's possible these days with all the technology and cloud-based systems we've got so it's um it kind of makes makes sense that people might buy from anywhere yeah uh, absolutely Okay, well, let's dive into the meat of today, um, which is this buy or build question. And I know we've got a lot of people listening who aren't yet running their own e-commerce site, or maybe they kind of started one off on the, the side of the desk and they're, they're seeing what they should do, but, you know, and playing around with a few things, trying to make the decision of eBay or Amazon, do I do a, my own store? Do I go onto Etsy? If I'm on Etsy, should I do my own store? But but kind of an even bigger question for someone looking to get started in e-commerce is, should they start from scratch with their own idea and their own website or buy something that's kind of fully formed, a proven case study and making money and ready to go with? So what what's your thoughts on that, Thomas? Yeah, it's a really good question. It's something that comes up quite a lot with various people I speak to. I think my view... I mean, there's, firstly, there's no right or wrong answer. I think for every every person, both options should at least be something they're open to. I'd say the one thing that would um, make buying less of an option is cash. So if you've got, like, and you've got, say, £5,000 or $5,000 to start a business, then you probably want to start something. For If you want to buy something that's already making money and it's kind of substantial enough that it's, I guess proven, you probably want to be in the like minimum fifty thousand dollars. So what's that? About thirty-five, forty thousand pounds at the current exchange rate. Um, so that's if you're going to buy that. I guess that'd be my general caveat. If you do have that, one of the things with 
buying a business is you're pretty much guaranteed that it's going to work. Whereas if you're in the building phase, you might have what you think is a great idea. Um, but until it actually starts making money, you never really know if that's actually a good idea or not. Um, or whether there's a market or whether people want to buy it or whether you can get just even the basic things like getting traffic to your site in the first place and making those first sales. Um, it's often quite difficult to to know. I think one thing in favor of building something is it really will be yours from the start. So maybe like have some of your personality in there, your passion, um, depending on the type of product you've got as well. It might be something you're really interested in. Whereas if you buy a business, you're less likely to find something that, that I guess you love um, because you haven't built it yourself. You're not going to have that same connection. So we tend to find the difference between people who buy versus build. The people who buy look at it more as a income stream and more as an investment and I guess they have less ego behind what the, the business actually is um, whereas people who build tend to be quite passionate or they have a very specific idea about one thing um, and also different personality types will be more suited to the, the different kind of ways to go about it um, I think for example, if you're like quite entrepreneurial and just like a passionate person in general, often building is the most exciting part. And we have a lot of clients who build businesses, they run them for a year or so, and then they, they go on to sell them because the excitement for them is in the building. Um, mm-hmm. And then we have a lot of people, conversely, who don't necessarily have that kind of initial drive and passion, but they might be like very analytical. So if they buy a business that's already established, they can apply some like analytical skills or split testing, email marketing, paid traffic or whatever that might be to grow the business. Um, so it also does depend on your, your skill set. But I mean, I think the only thing that would discount you from the buying is, is cash. Aside from that, I think both options should be open to you. I, mean, I, I think it's interesting you say about that personality type, because for me, you know, one day, and people have heard me say this a lot, one day I will have an e-commerce business. I've just got to think of one that I like or find one that I want to buy. And I'm very much the person who gets excited about the idea of, oh man, I could do so much with that. You know, you see it and you're, you're kind of like, oh, let, let me dive into the Google. Oh my God, why aren't you doing that? Why haven't you fixed that? Oh, there's just so much opportunity there. And, you know, to have that base of data and testing that's already happened, it's, to my mind, if you're buying a, a business that, that's been around for a couple of years, someone else has already made some of the mistakes for you. Someone else has already tested and fi- found some opportunities and gathered data that you can then use to very quickly push things forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's precisely right. That's kind of how I started in the industry in the first place. It was buying, I mean, albeit very small, undervalued assets or, or websites that could then be improved quite easily. Um, and that applies all the way up. The, the value chain as well. So we're in the middle of a, like a million dollar acquisition ourselves at the moment. Um, and you can make small tweaks to a business like that. Um, and you can potentially add hundreds of thousands of revenue a year just with minor changes based on past experience. Um, so there's always things you can do to improve. And I think that is a good point. They've already made a lot of the mistakes. Um, and if you've got any sort of relevant experience, you can often improve that business really quickly. Whereas starting from scratch, there's often like a, a runway where you have to wait, say, six or 12 months before you start building any momentum. It, it's, it's interesting that because I know there's, there's a few people who I've worked with in the past and, and you know, who are fans of the podcast who, who I know have businesses which they've, they've got to a certain level. 
and it's been great fun and it's been really interesting and it's paying some money but then they get to this point where they're like oh my god I'm putting so much effort in and it's just plateaued it's just not growing we've just not quite yet reached that point where I can afford to outsource or I can afford to do this and I'm still having to buy stock in small quantities and the margins just aren't there so it it does strike me it can be a couple of years before you realize actually the growth potential of this was never big enough for it to be a viable full-time money-making opportunity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very difficult to know in advance. Like, for example, when I started my business, first it was kind of started by accident. I knew I wanted a business, but I didn't necessarily know it'd be a brokerage business. But if you go back six years, there were a few other brokers out there, but none of them were really like any good or none of them really had any more than, I think the biggest company then had maybe three employees. Um, so the industry at the time probably wasn't really big enough to sustain the the 20 staff we have now. Um, so I think it really depends on your industry as well. Um, some some markets will kind of be small and stay small. Um, and also depending on your skill set as well, you'll often hit those like plateaus uh, in the business where your skill set's got you as far as you can, which is often when people decide to sell because they've got as far as they can um, and a buyer with a different skill set or maybe um, a team or a budget or, or something, something that you don't necessarily have can add a lot of value. So that's why there's quite an active, quite active market for buying and selling in the first place. So I think it's quite interesting the way in which, especially in the online world, if, you, if you're planning on starting a retail shop, the initial market research was quite straightforward. How many people are within a drive time? You know, your, your market, your human market is pretty well defined. Your competitive situation is was pretty well defined in those days. Now, if you're selling online, you know, you first of all, you're definitely selling to your whole country. Um, you're probably selling wider than that. So you've got this huge volume of people, an incalculable number of competitors to look at. I mean, I think about um, a, another person we had on the podcast last year, Dan Adler, who runs Wink Beds in America, who make a single bed. Well, not as in a single bed, they make one bed. <laughs> I should be clear on that one. And, you know, to, to do all that research into the mattress, into getting it perfect and selling it and to grow to the size he's grown that business, you know, you're, you really are taking a leap of faith that people will want to buy a complex product like a mattress online and that they'll choose to buy from you instead of to buy from somebody else who they usually buy from. It's really, really tough market research. You've really got to just stick your toe in the water and see what happens. Yeah, it's it's a very difficult one to judge. And also, I think you can see a lot of competitors out there, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're good competitors. And conversely, you could see a relatively, like what seems like quite a like slow market competition-wise and can actually be very competitive because those competitors could be very good. Or, um, or the so, day after you launch, Amazon goes into that product category. Precisely. There's always <laughs> a lot of unknowns, which I think is another kind of argument for for buying you kind of get past all that initial uncertainty, you know where the business is. There's obviously some market, um, I guess, where it plateaus is quite difficult to to say. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've seen, I, over the years, it's always amazed me that the type of businesses that can make, uh, let's say, six figures in net income, which I think for most people, especially individuals, is like a, a good target to get to as an entrepreneur or working by yourself. Um, I've seen all sorts of products get products and businesses get to that level. Um, so I guess it really depends on the extent of your kind of where you want to get it to. If you're looking for a business and get can get to say eight or nine figures in 
revenue, then there's probably slightly more limited options in terms of like niches or industries you might want to go into. But if you're content making, say, a million a year in turnover and 100,000 a year in profit with your e-commerce business, then there's lots of different markets out there. So, uh, Thomas, you just kind of whetted our appetite a little bit there for some of the crazy businesses you've seen and brokered. Are you able to share with us a couple of, while, you know, to give people a flavour of the sort of things that are available out there in the broker market at the moment to buy? Yeah, we've, we've seen all sorts. So I can't give you the specific names of, of the businesses because of the way our uh, client agreements work. Um, but, for example, we sold a, in the e-commerce space, we sold a, uh, a wooden sunglasses business. Uh, we've sold hair regrowth businesses um we've sold uh products that sell like solar panels you name it we've sold it i've i've generally seen everything over the years um did you say wooden sunglasses yeah so you would think if you said someone wooden sunglasses everyone would say that's a stupid idea if you said that to your friends around the dinner table everyone would say it's a stupid idea and it'll never make money yeah um but there are lots of businesses like that in seemingly stupid niches that no one's ever going to buy in that are actually very popular. So, And, and you've you already can... said that, you know, you need to have at least $50,000, £40,000 to be able to buy one. So we can take it that the, uh, we can read between the lines there and work out that wooden sunglasses was quite popular, quite profitable, quite a viable business at the point where it, where it crossed your threshold. Yeah, no, that was a, yeah, that was a six-figure business. Um, like I said, I've seen all sorts of, products that you would think when you look at them you'd say oh that there's no way does that make any money no one will buy that product but there's often markets out there and often what you find as well is you can almost make a market um because you might not see wooden sunglasses around but there's always going to be a certain demographic that might like those products if you can market to them well in the first place and of course that's one of the joys of the internet it's a lot easier to gather together a niche of people to make a viable business these days yeah gather them and then target them as well Exactly. Okay. Well, look, we've we've kind of gone through quite a lot about why people should buy, and strangely enough, we've um, given <laughs> you work for a website brokerage, and I find the idea of buying one far more attractive for my personal personality traits and skill set than creating one from scratch. We have kind of been uh, been vying towards on the should you buy or should you uh, should you create that you should go for the buy option here. So I, should, I will just put in a caveat that. We're not saying you should definitely buy. We're saying you should definitely have that as an option on your list. Mm-hmm. But let's now let's now move on, Thomas, to kind of if someone wants to go about buying and they want to seriously explore that, what are kind of the costs and the options for what they should be should be looking for? How do they go about starting off on that journey? Yeah. So in terms of costs, I think it would make sense to very quickly go into valuations and what you might expect to get for the amount of cash you have. Yeah, that sounds good. So if good. you look at a very approximate average without going into too much detail, you'll look to pay around 2.5 times to three times net income for business. So that would mean for, uh, say, $50,000, you would expect to get a business that's making $20,000 a year in net income. So that's 2.5 times that is around 50000 um, and then the same applies for a bigger business. If you've got half a million dollars, you'd expect to acquire a business making around 200000 in in net. Obviously, you get businesses that are more than that and lower than that. But if you look at the average across uh, our last 450 sales, it's around um, that level. So firstly, it's a good idea to like establish whether or not the budget you have can buy you what 
or require you what you're going to need. Obviously, and if you spot... Just and if two, two seconds before we move on. Can you just clarify for everyone out there? Because I know we've got some people who are very new to all of this. What you mean by net profit? Yeah. So actually, if we're going to be very technical, we actually use what's called seller discretionary earnings. So that's effectively, with an e-commerce business, it will be your revenue taking away your cost of goods. Um, and then cost of goods would in- obviously include like the cost of the stock and also shipping. Um, and then any overheads related to the business. Um, so that might be your web hosting. If you're using something like Shopify, your Shopify subscription. Um, any other subscriptions that are relevant to running the business. The only thing that's not included in the SD calculation is anything you've personally taken from the business. So if you pay yourself a salary, uh, if you pay for maybe your car and an office rent through it, then that's that's not taken into account. So it's kind so, of kind of the bottom line profit number, ignoring tax and ignoring personal income. Yeah, that's also a good point. It also ignores tax, so it ignores anything you've taken out of the business or anything. It's called SDE, which is seller discretionary earnings, because anything it ignores anything you've taken out on a discretionary basis. So, so seller discretionary doesn't mean the seller's gone. Eh, I reckon fifty. <laughs> it, <laughs> no, it means yeah. that anything you know. Um, car payments, uh, yeah. dividends, salary, whatever that owner yeah. has taken out. Yeah, I guess it's technically what would be left for the owner to pay themselves if they wanted to, if that so, makes sense. So it's a very fair estimate of what yes. your income yes. would be. And, and the reason it's used for small businesses, if you go into much bigger businesses, say over 10 million in valuation, you start to use what's an e- called an EBITDA multiple, which does include... Salary, but at that level, you tend to have employees, and often the owner is not the one actually running the business, um, and they'll be getting paid a like a fair market salary at that level, so it's quite replaceable. Whereas in a small business, it's quite common for the owner to either be the only employee or at least the key employee in the business. Um, so yeah, that's yeah net income or like your net profit, not including tax and not including anything you've paid yourself. Um, so that means you can. For say fifty thousand dollars, you'd expect to require a business making twenty thousand dollars a year in your pocket if you wanted to take all of that cash out. So, th- so if nothing else changes, if you can't make it any better, you're going to get your money back in two and a half years. Yes, that's the implied maths. Yeah, although obviously you have to eat, so um, it doesn't yeah, quite. <laughs> it doesn't quite work out that way. So, if if someone's got the money they can invest, they know what source, you know, they're happy with the level of income they're going to be generating. They can see a business that they reckon they can make a big difference to. What, what else, you know, what else are they going to do when they're kind of, kind of looking in this area? Yeah, I think, so when you're, I guess when you're looking in the first place, you mentioned seeing a business you like and you could add value to. So I guess the, the oldest way and the most traditional way to buy a business is just approach someone and say, hey, I'd like to buy your business. Um, over the years, I've bought businesses privately myself and people always ask for tricks and tips, but I've always found the best way if you actually like a business and you're interested in buying it, just email them, introduce yourself and say you're interested. Uh, the only problem with kind of emailing people cold is it has a very low success rate associated um, with it. From people I've spoken to who do this on a regular basis, they might expect to get maybe five replies from 100 emails. Um, so the odds of finding a business you absolutely love um, and being able to acquire it is relatively slim, um, which is why I mentioned like much earlier, 
you sometimes need to take the ego out of it and just mm-hmm. accept the fact you're not necessarily going to get your ideal business. Um, and then your other option, if you're actively looking, you really want to be dealing with people who are actually actively looking to sell. So those people either be trying to sell themselves like privately through um, marketplaces or, or similar, or they'll be going through business brokers or website brokers or whatever you want to call them. Um, so the best thing in that case is just sign up to lots of different broker lists. I, I definitely wouldn't recommend, obviously I'd be quite biased here, but I wouldn't recommend <laughs> just signing up to our list, for example. It makes sense to kind of look in lots of different places and then you can get a good idea of um, what, what's out there. Um, I suppose during that, pro- I mean, it, it obviously makes sense to sign up to multiples because it's the seller who decides which brokerage to go through, not the buyer. So if the business you want is in a different brokerage, you've got to go there to buy. Yes, precisely. So almost all brokers will have an exclusive agreement, meaning they'll be the only one representing the the seller. Um, yeah, so the best thing to do is sign up to multiple lists, have a look at multiple businesses. Obviously, some brokers will be better than others, so some will be a little bit more difficult to deal with. Um, the level of like materials they provide you, so for example, if you look at Business With Us, you might get a 20-page prospectus on the business with financials, various questions. That means you can learn enough about the business to like make an offer and hopefully spot some growth opportunities. But I know there are some like other brokers out there or when people are selling themselves privately where you might get quite a lot less. So mm. it does also depend on the level of information you're comfortable with. And are there any um, small sites which do smaller deals because I know we've had previous on the podcast Rohan from um, Wet Shave Club who bought very cheaply on Reddit and quickly made an impact mm-hmm. you know very a long way shy of the the $50,000 mark so are there any yeah. sites that it's worth looking at if you want a really cheap deal mm-hmm. yeah so Reddit is a is a, a good place to look you often find the Reddit has like a relatively young demographic on there and quite often you get people who start like quite cool businesses but they might start it like over their summer at college and then by the time they go back, they don't have time to run it. There's also a marketplace called Flipper, um, which has, I guess, sites anywhere from $50 up to, they don't go much above, say, 50000 on average. Uh, I guess the difficulty with marketplace is very much a Wild West in terms of you need to make sure you know what you're looking at. You get a lot of like misrepresentation and, I guess, fraud on, on marketplaces like this. So you do need to be kind of like quite confident in your due diligence abilities. But of course, that's if you're only risking $100, it's less of a worry. Oh, precisely, yeah. I mean, <laughs> but, for, yeah, yeah, exactly. For $100, you'd probably, I mean, in e-commerce, for example, you might expect to have uh, a small e-commerce store set up, maybe attached to a, a dropshipper that anyone can sign up to. Yeah. Okay, well, that has been has been quite quite a fascinating run through and I'm sure you've all got lots of thoughts and ideas um, coming out of that but I guess the, the first thing to do is to go and sign up some of those brokerage um, sites take a look at Flipper and um, and start having a look at what's out there and if anything resonates and I, I guess that's the, that's the good thing isn't it Thomas if you can start looking at these things you you educate yourself as you're searching and become a better buyer in the process. Yeah precisely it took me I guess many years and I still do it to this day many years of like browsing marketplaces and like various brokers to get an idea of what's out there and even if you're I mean you can still be looking to buy a business and then maybe decide to build because you'll often while you're looking to buy you might find businesses that you like the idea of buying in the first place or so you, you might decide 
something you're looking at buying, you can apply that same knowledge to building instead. Oh, so you can literally learn what to do yourself because you've seen what someone yeah. else has done. Yeah, yeah. Oh, cool. So we should all be going and signing up and having a look to see what we can learn. This e-commerce growth series is sponsored by Vico. Vico is the number one inventory software. Vico allows you to sell across multiple marketplaces, such as eBay, Amazon, Magento, WooCommerce, and Shopify. You can try Vico for free today at info.vico.com forward slash e-commerce dash master plan. Vico is V-E-E-Q-O. So that's info.vico.com forward slash e-commerce dash master plan. But now it's time for the top tips round. And I really love this section because it gives me and our listeners some really quick ideas for taking our businesses to the next level. So Thomas, first up is the book top tip. If everyone listening to this podcast agreed to take Friday off and read a book to make their business better, which book would you recommend? Uh, so one of my favourites is Tipping Point. Uh, Malcolm Gladwell. Yeah, that's right. I started saying Malcolm Gladwell and then thought, Oh, have I got it right? <laughs> okay, cool. We're going, because time's a bit short, we're going to press on onto the next top tip. So the traffic top tip next. Which marketing method do you either prize above all others or think doesn't get the press it deserves? Uh, I'd say for e-commerce businesses specifically, Instagram marketing, I've seen work really well for people where they can get other people to like send people a free version of their product and get them to put up on Instagram. I've seen that work really well for a lot of people. And it's very cost effective as well. So kind of influencer outreach via Instagram. Yep. Cool. Um, and the tool top tip, maybe a collaboration tool, a social media plugin, a phone app, or just a way of working. Is there a cool little tool you use that makes you and your team more efficient from day to day? Yeah, so we use a lot of different tools internally. I'd say probably one of the most useful one we have is HipChat, which is a bit like uh, Slack or Skype for discussing internally, which is obviously important because we have staff in. I think we have six different countries now. So keeping in touch with them would be impossible without instant messaging. And I guess it's um, without, I hope this isn't an insult, but um, <laughs> your business, I'm guessing, must operate quite a lot like a um, like an estate agency in that each product only exists once and you could get interest from anywhere. So you've got to keep that information flowing between the team to make sure the right, person's getting in contact with the right product yeah that's very true and we have a lot of people that will be involved in a process and they won't necessarily be in the same country so i guess collaboration quickly and accurately is very important okay cool and then the startup top tip if you met someone this weekend who's thinking of starting an e-commerce business what would be your first piece of advice for them it's usually actually start it in the first place i speak to a lot of people who think about it but just never do it and that's really the key yeah, because whether you're, you know, I suppose that's actually one of the good things about buying, isn't it? If you buy an e-commerce business, you have to start on day one because you've got customers on day one. Precisely. The number of people I've met who will spend like 12 months planning their name and their logo and never actually <laughs> launch anything. Uh, I'm quite a firm believer in just getting something started and worrying about things like logo, trademark at a later date. And I guess as well, that's kind of the bit which the person who's starting from scratch can get over the person who's going for the buy is that somebody someone who's buying they might be researching for six months before they find anything they want to buy whereas the person with the start who's starting it themselves could have been running for six months so actually they may have got 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 to a better position within six months than the person who buys precisely yeah i mean there's pros and cons of each i guess but sitting around and just talking about it is not enough <laughs> yeah that is definitely something i see very often like in lots of different 
going to lots of conferences and just speaking to lots of different people. That tends to be the most common thing. It's always spending too much time planning and not actually starting. Cool. Well, look, Thomas, before we say goodbye, could you please let the listeners know where they can find you and your business on the web and on social media? Yeah. So website is www.feinternational.com. Um, I'd recommend checking out our blog. We've got various content on there for, uh, I guess, e-commerce specific and just online business specific, whether you might be interested in content or SaaS businesses as well. We've got lots out there. Uh, social media wise, you can quite easily find our accounts via the, the the website, or you can also my personal Twitter account is at Thomas Smale. Uh, yeah, so that would be the best place to find us. Okay, excellent. And um, I'll make sure all of that is in the show notes. Thomas, thank you so much for being on the podcast today and for kind of it enlightening us all about a totally different area of the e-commerce world. Yeah, great. It's been fun. Thanks so much for having me on. What a packed half hour that was. My head is now spinning with ideas and I just want to dive into that research part. So just to summarise the key points. Number one, if you're looking to start, consider buying as well as starting from scratch. Number two, whatever your plans, sign up to the key brokerages email lists and learn from the offerings. Often you'll get a 20 page summary of what that business has been up to and what it looks like. So much to learn from that information, both in terms of building your own business and in terms of working out what you want to be buying. And point number three, if you want to look for a very low price point to start at, then do check out Reddit and Flipper. Links to everything we talked about uh, in the show are at the show notes and Masterplan World. You can find those at ecommercemasterplan.com forward slash 84-5. That's 84-5. Or just go to the website, click on the podcast tab or use the search box. If you've enjoyed the start of our 2015 e-commerce growth series sponsored by Vico, then please do spread the word to your e-commerce friends. Twitter, Facebook, over a coffee or a pint, I really don't mind. And it would be particularly awesome if you're able to put a review on iTunes. And of course, make sure you join in the conversation about this series and everything else e-commerce at the e-commerce master plan world Facebook group, which you can find via ecommercemasterplan.com forward slash Facebook. Next time, which is just a few days away, we have Shop America's Jojo Vandenberg back on the show. He's spent much of 2016 reorganising his business to make it work more smoothly and free up his time to get on with growing rather than running to stand still. Oh, how we all feel that pain. Um, And Jojo shared so many tips and ideas that I've split the show in two for you. So on Monday, you're going to have part A and part B both available to you. So have a great week and keep optimising. Thank you for listening to the e-commerce master plan podcast. Find out more at ecommercemasterplan.com.